welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. He's moving up from his typical Thursday into Friday morning spot into a Tuesday slot, if only because he's traveling this weekend and we wanted to get him on the show. Mark, we're actually going to talk about basketball today. How good, is it? How good does it feel? I feel like so few people are actually talking about basketball at this point. <laughs> Yeah, don't remind me. Uh, no, I mean, honestly, I thought I got moved up because uh, my batting average went up. I was in like 280 this last month. So, um, oh. you know, but you don't, don't want to mention that. Hitting, That's fine. But we're, we're about to go. We're about to go full Ted Williams with you. You're hitting a robust 400, I would say. Oh, Jim. wow. No questions okay. asked about that. Wow. Hey, I'm not going to I can't complain about hitting 400. But uh, no, man, things are things are good. Like you mentioned, I'm traveling. I'm going tomorrow uh, for the next couple of days. I'm going to be in Detroit, actually. Um, to go do a story on the Detroit Shocker having their um, 20th anniversary of their first championship in 2003. So I'm really excited to do that. I, uh, I haven't been in Detroit since I was at Michigan State. So it's been a minute considering how close I lived to that city. I literally like I've lived in Toledo for three years, which is like a 25 minute drive. And I still, you know, hardly ever went there. But I'm excited, man. We have a lot of good stuff to talk about. I'm, uh, work Work trips are just never ending, which I appreciate. But like, I've been writing like crazy the last couple of days. So I'm kind of ready to get out of the house. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I went and filmed a bunch of stuff for tab shout out tab friend of the show over here in Australia. Tab, and I was going for the like, former soft drink that got canceled, but no, I'm just kidding. This, this one is tab sports book <laughs> over here in yeah. Australia. We love those folks over there, but uh you know, I was just so wiped yesterday. So we're going a little bit later today than what we typically do with you because my brain, I actually woke up at like eight o'clock today for the first time during the week nice. in like so, so long because my brain and body just like were totally fried after the last couple of days. But today on the show, we are going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers who are in a really fun stretch of basketball here, largely because of Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell has taken just this really fun leap this season that, I don't know, like I see like top tens for MVP. Like I just, you know, generally looked at the NBA.com MVP ladder. And not, that's one voter, right, of course. I don't mean to denigrate that one voter either. Uh, they don't have him in the top ten right now. And I see people that don't have him in the top ten, and it's just like, kind of confounding to me. So I kind of want to talk about how good Donovan Mitchell has been this season uh, with avoiding the MVP conversation, because goodness, what a disaster that has become. Uh, then we're going to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, who are in an incredibly strange stretch of basketball where it feels like they desperately need Zion Williamson to return. But also they should probably be having more success than what they're having right now. And there seem to be some structural issues that are occurring within what they're actually doing and trying to achieve on the court. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Then we're going to do some 2023 NBA draft prospect battles, which is people who have watched us do prospect battles in the past with spins. I'm bringing Schindler into the fold here. Typically we do it with NBA players. This time we're going to do it with college prospects. Now that their season is coming near an end. The three that we have on the docket today, we have Grady Dick against Jordan Hawkins, two of the best floor spacers in this 2023 NBA draft. We have Jarris Walker against uh, Taylor Hendricks from UCF, two guys that are seen as six foot eight to six foot nine, multi versatile defensive prospects that have different offensive games in the way that they translate to the league. 
And then we're going to do Terrence Shannon against Colby Jones, two guys that are Mark Schindler specials. Uh, they're just guys that he really loves, and I really like one of them, and I'm intrigued to talk about the other one a little bit more. So that's where we're going to go, Mark. Let's start with the Cleveland Cavaliers. You mentioned that you wanted to talk about Donovan Mitchell here, so I'm just going to give you the floor to start. What has impressed you with Donovan Mitchell thus far? And obviously he has the 40-point game last night and was so, so critical to everything they did in beating the Celtics. But uh, I'll give you the floor on Donovan Mitchell before I could jump in here. Yeah, I mean, what hasn't impressed me about Donovan Mitchell? He's been he's been sensational this year. I think you look right now at the Cavs, they're a top 10 offense, and uh, I don't want to say it's solely him, but uh, largely on the back of his shot making, what he does getting downhill for them. It feels like every single night when things kind of bog down for them or they are having some kind of issues with dealing with their fifth player on the court. Um, it just doesn't matter because Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland find a way to take over. Um, it's been special to watch. Like, A, I don't really think that there's been a, a drop-off from him defensively from what he was doing in the beginning of the year, which that's been one of his biggest improvements has just been not being a total negative on that end. I still don't think he's, like, all defense or anything, obviously, but that has helped. Um, but, the again, the heavy lifting that he's done, particularly over his last 10 games, have been – just kind of wild to me. I still want to know if, you know, is Malcolm Brogdon still in, in Cleveland after getting crossed up yesterday? Did he go back to Virginia for his fifth year? Like what <laughs> that was, I, it was wild. I was watching the game with uh, a friend of ours, Zach Milner, and uh, I reacted like heavily to, to the cross. Like, oh, and then, and then he, and then he punched it. And I just, <laughs> I lost my mind. I woke up my dog. I woke up. Uh, I'm pretty sure I woke up my, my family who was sleeping a couple of times over um that was that was one of the best plays I've seen this year just in general as a as a pure holy shit um and I like I think you know so so much of the last couple of years of him in Utah have been like oh well he's bombing away from three and that's really been awesome and like obviously he mixes that in with what he does as a you know attack in the basket but I think it's at a different level with what he brings attack in the basket right now like the pace and control he has attacking off the bounce has been something special. Um, Like his ability to just weave through traffic um, seemingly always on balance has been really impressive to watch. And I feel like that's continued to be his biggest growth over the last probably two or three years. I think that's been a steady thing for him that really came along last year. And I think this year it just pops so much. And like, finally the, the last 10 game stat finally loaded for me, but over his last 10 games. So the Cavs are six and four, um, but he's, Averaging 31.3 points per game, five boards, four assists on 50, 39, 92 splits. Well, taking 10 threes a game. Like, it's been one of the best. And part of what's so crazy, too, like, we're talking about him having the same stretch. Well, Dame's having a stretch. Like, it feels like everybody in the NBA yep. as an individual is playing really well right now. Um, it's been a really special stretch. And like you mentioned, too, like, four, three 40-point games in this stretch as well. It's been uh, it's been one hell of a year from Donovan Mitchell, and I would want to add to um, he would make an All NBA team for me right now, probably without question. He'd probably be third team, but I would not have to really think about that one too much. So yeah, I've honestly been wondering: has he been outside of Luca, if you want to call Luca a guard? Luca is amorphous in so many ways positionally. Uh, has he been the second best guard in terms of consistency this year, and in terms of impact? In the NBA, like 
you know, John Moran is obviously going to miss quite a bit of time here. It feels like maybe one game, maybe who, who knows? Uh, I don't know how long John Morant has been out. It feels like Taylor Jenkins uh, specifically after the game, you know, said that it's unclear at this point, how long he'll be away from the team. Stephen Curry has missed quite a bit of time, two separate stretches this season. Shea Gilgis Alexander has been great. Uh, I would certainly listen to a case for him. I would certainly listen to a case for Damian Lillard at this point. But what Donovan Mitchell has done on both ends of the court this year, I think particularly has been absolutely phenomenal. And he's transformed this Cavaliers team that I think often just gets lost in the conversation across the league. Like they have the fifth best record in the NBA right now. And because they're fourth in the Eastern Conference and because people think of them as not having quite as much of a chance to get out of the East as Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, I think that they're often forgotten in this conversation and the season that they're having is being a bit like just kind of thrown to the side almost maybe. Does that feel like, does that feel right to you? Yeah, I think I'm like half in, half out on it. Like on one hand, I I get why it gets overlooked considering what the top four teams in the East have been. Um, I know like their record against the top four hasn't been tremendous compared to, um, you know, some of the other teams. But also like I think it's when they have games like that, and to be fair to you, like I don't want to oversell it for Boston. Like second night of a back-to-back, I was expecting that to be a worse game than it ended up being. Like I was honestly expecting Boston to come out pretty sluggish and lose. Mm-hmm. Like it's a back-to-back. They just played a double OT game the night before. Jason Tatum didn't play. Al Horford didn't play. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, I think like to me, I look at this, this Cavs team, I'm really excited to see in the playoffs. I think uh, I definitely have reservations and questions about like, like we mentioned, like what that fifth player in the, uh, in, in, on, on the, on the court can look like at times, but yep. they just seem to find ways to to string things together. And with how well Darius and geez, bless, bless Darius is hard. That dude gets hit in the face for 48 minutes more than anybody in the NBA that isn't seven feet tall. Like I think Demonis bonus probably yeah. has the per 48, but locked up easily, but there has been hit in the face like six times this year, um, which has been just wild. But point being, this like Evan Mobley's game yesterday too. Like we're all talking about what 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 Donovan did. And to be fair, like the the Celtics were a little bit depleted in the front court yesterday. But Evan Evan's been awesome over the last month or so. Like obviously the yeah. shot is still a ways away, but he's been so good playing through contact, physicality, just. Um, the defense continues to really pop and be awesome. I feel like he's been able to anchor lineups more as a five, um, and they've needed him to this year as well because some of their backup options just haven't really worked. Um, and it's just been really fun to watch this Cavs team. I don't. I feel like I don't have any crazy expectations for them, but they yeah. feel like a team that could make some real noise in the playoffs with how well they're they're putting some things together. Yeah. So with with Cleveland here, I think that. Part of what is so impressive to me is that they have the best net rating in the league. Like per 100 possessions, they beat teams by more points over the aggregate than any other team in the NBA right now. I feel like nobody knows that, right? Like I feel like that is something that has just been completely ignored. They have the best net rating in the NBA right now. At I think it's like plus 5.7. They're doing this in spite of the fact that 
they've actually played a fairly difficult schedule. Like this is not a schedule based thing where they just haven't had their tough games yet. They currently have a top eight strength of schedule, according to basketball reference. If you look at uh, Milwaukee currently, they are 19th. If you look at Boston currently, they are 15th. So they have a better net rating against a harder schedule than both of those two teams. And again, it feels like people just dismiss them. And I don't disagree with you in terms of like wondering what does that fifth starter look like? What does that, uh, what does that, situation look like if you can sag off of Isaac Okoro or if you can sag off of Lamar Stevens or someone like that. It's kind of why I imagine they went out and tried to get Danny Green. And honestly, like I think that Dean Wade is probably their best option in the playoffs. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think what's hard is like it's going to be really matchup dependent because if they play a team that can, you know, go three pretty smalls. Like I think if there's a team that like with Boston, I think Dean Wade would be, but if they're yeah. playing a team that's running, you know, three guards or, um, th- you know, two guards, smaller wing, like I think it's a little bit harder for Dean to be out there. Um, like, but what helps too is, like, I think they can get away with some things just by virtue of like e- even yesterday and watching. If they have a team that doesn't go on like a crazy outlier shooting performance, they just cover so much ground between Jared and Evan that it kind of allows them to to be a little bit different defensively and how they handle the dimensions of the court. Um, and I think that gives them just an extra little gear that, that I think matters a lot. Um, and Isaac to his credit has been a lot better recently. He's still not getting treated like a shooting threat and I don't think he should be, but um, he's at least been confident and it's been better, but yeah, I agree. It's still, they, they at least like they, they closed with Lamar Stevens yesterday. He's the leading scorer in overtime. Don't, don't let that get undersold five points in overtime and some big defensive plays. So um, yeah, it's, I, I don't, again, like, I don't really have to make of them sometimes. Like, it's, do I want to see Lamar Stevens start in a playoff game? Uh, or, I mean, close in a playoff game? Yes, but also no. Like, yeah. it's, I mean, it, it's, they're, they're, a, they're a really fun team. I, I don't really know. Again, like, I'm not trying to, like, just fence it. But um, they keep pushing themselves up in, in, in what I feel um, should have them considered as contenders. So it's uh, it's interesting. Well, and the interesting thing with them, I feel like, is that all of their games against good teams are close. Like, everything that they play against really good teams, like, you can go back, like, they've had the game against the Celtics last night, right? That's a four-point win uh, in overtime. Uh, they have the game against the Celtics a couple games ago. That's a four-point loss. They lose by six to the Nuggets. They lose by six to the 76ers on the road. Uh, you know, they beat the Grizzlies, you know, with John Morant and those guys by 15. But, you know, th- then you can kind of go down. Like, they lose to the Heat by three. They lose to the Knicks by two. They beat the Bucks. Uh, they lose to the Warriors by six. They lose to the Grizzlies by one. Uh, it's just that every single game, it feels like, where they play another good team, they're all tight. And they're all very, very competitive games. It doesn't feel like they're getting blown like they never get blown off the court i feel like which i think is a credit to their defense as much as anything like it's hard to blow a team off the court that has evan mobley and jared allen who are what are they genuinely both like in all defense conversation i feel like well for me they are legitimately both in all defense conversation at this point and they both should be uh they've been incredible throughout the course of this season 
Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, they're number one defense in the NBA, and it just hasn't dropped off at all this season, really. Um, yep. So I would, I would be there with it. Um, I'm trying to think what else to say on that. Like, I think I, I, I do just want to correct myself. I think I may have flubbed what their record is against contenders. I know it's, it's better than I think I, I put it out to be. I, I had it written down incorrectly, but point being, like exactly like you mentioned, it's they feel matchup dependent for sure, as, as any team is. I. One of the games I have circled over this next month is they play the Knicks for the last time on March 31st. Mm. A, because that could be a – I mean, it's looking closer and closer like it could be a playoff series. Although, Philadelphia really wants to make it not a playoff series and maybe find their way into the four seed, it feels like. Um, But they've struggled with the Knicks this year. Like, they're two and one. I don't want to oversell too much of that. The Knicks, I think, went undefeated against the Hawks the year that – the Hawks gentlemen swept them in the playoffs. Um, but like, that's just the, the team that everything is about, okay, draw to kick, shoot well, play really hard defense, be physical. Like I think that team has really, I don't want to say expose something in them, but it's just the team that they've struggled to match up with. So I'm interested to see what that looks like again. Obviously we're a ways away from that, but um, yeah, this team, seem rocks. I enjoy them. Yeah, this. I mean, so they have great defense. They have genuinely great shot creation, right? Because of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. I don't know, man. I feel like this is a more dangerous team than gets credit. I agree with you on the Knicks part. Like that Knicks matchup actually does feel very difficult for them, right? In a way that the Knicks can just kind of bludgeon them uh, in a real way at the rim uh, with guys like, Julius Randle and with Mitchell Robinson, but they can also go small. They just have that lineup versatility and flexibility now with Josh Hart that I think is going to be able to potentially cause the Cavaliers some problems in the playoffs. But I mean, for the Celtics, right? Like the Celtics are at their best when they can play two bigs in the Cavs are at their best when they can play two bigs and their two bigs are better than Boston's two bigs. And it, then comes down to what is the difference between Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell in a playoff series? And what's the difference between Darius Garland and Jalen Brown in a playoff series? And I want to learn the answer to that question. I think Boston probably wins that series, but I I at least think that there are schematic advantages and schematic differences that Boston could have problems with against the uh, Cavs at least. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and I think one thing I do want to say, too, just as a random shot, I think there's been a little bit too much of, like, skepticism about Boston lately. Um, like, yeah. I – yes, they've gone through a little bit of a doldrum. They're 10-10 and 10 over their last 20 games. They've dealt with a lot of injuries. They've had guys in and out. And also, like, we just kind of see teams hit the gas a little – I mean, hit the, hit the brakes a little bit at times. Like, I if, – if they're still playing like this a week before the playoffs, then, yeah, I'll have more questions. But right now, like – I get like the, oh, well, you know, Tatum has his bad games. I'm like, okay, but look at all the other things that do pop when, even when they don't have things going. Like I thought yesterday was one of Jalen Brown's best games of the season. Um, Seeing with some of the things that he put together. Um, But yeah, exactly. Like I just, Boston is still really freaking good. I feel like that's kind of been lost lately. It is interesting to me, and to close the loop on Donovan Mitchell now, and we'll move on to the Pelicans after this. It is interesting to me that we've seen more of the Donovan Mitchell craft stuff as a ball handler this year. In part because he's needed it, because that lane is just a little bit more crowded, 
right? Yeah. With Jared Allen, with Evan Mobley, and with the fact that their third guy on the court often isn't necessarily a high-level shooter. But it feels interesting to me that when he had all of the space in the world in Utah with all of the shooting, the rim running, everything around him, maybe he just didn't need to develop that part of his skill or maybe he's had it and we just like didn't get a chance to see it. But you're hundred percent right. What you said earlier, his craft and his footwork and his ability to play at pace in the mid range now and getting to the rim and being able to uh, be an efficient scorer inside of the three point line, which is something that he has always struggled with throughout the course uh, of his career. This is his career best season as a two point percentage uh, finisher. He is like two and a half percentage points better than last season where he was 53%. He's at like 56% right now. And you look back through the previous three years, it was like 47%, 49%, 47%. This was a guy that had all the space in the world should have been able to finish at an exceptionally high level. Given the situation around him, you would expect those numbers to actually drop in terms of his two point percentage, but he clearly has gotten better in the off season at using his footwork, using his pace. I think he looks stronger as well. Would you agree with that? Yeah, which is like kind of jarring to say. Um, and I think part of that's like just the mix of general footwork and balance, but along with the strength too. Um, like he's so good at, and I think sometimes he definitely gets away with push offs, but as he is low on the list of push off uh, aggressors, as far as I'm concerned in the league, I have I have a running list by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's been the, the strength definitely pops with him. Yeah, it's it's very, uh, very, very impressive the leaps that he's made throughout the course of this offseason, I think, as much as anything, right? Like, I think that that is – it's clear he has gotten way better, and I think that this is a real leap, and I think we're going to see that in the playoffs. Like, I think that we have obviously seen Donovan Mitchell have incredible playoff series in the past. He has been someone – you know, the series against the Thunder stands out, like, vividly in my mind, right? Uh that Russell Westbrook, Paul George series where he just kind of took it to them. And then obviously the duel against Jamal Murray in the bubble was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I think we're, I think we're going to get another one of those. I really truly do. And if he does that with this team around him, I wouldn't dismiss them is all I'm saying. Like all of the indicators in terms of metrics say that they are a genuine high level elite team in the NBA this season. And because of that, I think that you have a guy who has a proven track record in the NBA. You have a great defense. Uh, you have a proven track record as a closer in the playoffs. That feels like a lot. To, that feels like a lot of boxes that they have ticked to me. Yeah, no, I agree, and uh, I I'm very excited to see how it plays out because yeah. this is this is a fun group, and like part of what's fun to think about too is how much they have uh, moving forward to to be excited about. Um, I love Cleveland. Cleveland's pretty great, in case you weren't yeah. aware. Yeah, you hot take guy who lives in <laughs> Cleveland probably likes Cleveland. Uh, you're not even a Cavs fan, so I think we're good. I'm this, not. Right? I'm not. If they go back okay. to the uh, the 07 jerseys, I'll be a Cavs fan. Those are some of the best. We're going to take a – that's amazing. Just saying. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to talk about 
the New Orleans Pelicans and just what in the world is happening there because I'm so confused. Okay, we're back. We're going to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans now. I don't understand this team, Mark. I don't get them. They've gotten healthier getting Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum back. Brandon Ingram over his last, uh, what is it? What did I send you last night? It is over his last 10 games. He's averaging 27 and a half points, 4.5 rebounds, four and a half assists on 50, 40, 85 shooting splits. Uh, this team has lost, I think, seven of those 10 games. If CJ McCollum, who it feels like has not been awesome during this stretch, if I'm being completely honest, but they're obviously without Zion Williamson, and they're a team that is very dependent on Zion Williamson in a lot of different ways. Before I get into some of my overall structural takeaways about New Orleans, what is your overriding feeling on the Pelicans right now, who are actually tied in a big group of four teams right now between nine and 11, or I guess that'd be nine and 12. I'm sorry. Uh, for the last playing spot. Uh, overall feeling is sad. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how I feel right now. Cause this team, like the, um, I mean, what they were doing up until the end of December, early in January was just like, that was the best the Pelicans have ever looked in my lifetime. And I, I like, like you mentioned, I don't want to just chalk it all up to injury. I, I think injury has really hurt their rhythm and their ability to go off of what was working for them earlier in the year. I mean, my biggest thing, as much as I love Brandon Ingram, love Washington play, I think he's been fantastic, especially like you mentioned over this, this last stretch. Um, this team just does not create anything easy in the half court. And it's been a big problem for them. Um, like everything is so, so difficult. And I think that's been hurt too by what the spacing is around their team. Like we saw this be a real issue two years ago when Zion Williamson got hurt um, and, and, or when he missed the entire season, I should say, because three years, was it three years ago when he was playing and was awesome. I'm trying to remember it's the years run together, but point being when Zion first was really popping off, looking like an all NBA player, um, you saw how well some guys who, even if they had some spacing issues, they really um, were able to thrive off what they did. Like Najee Marshall is a guy who's been so good playing alongside Zion Williamson, who can play off of him, having guys who can, who can handle the ball outside of him, attack what he creates or attack gaps, just be smart moving without the ball. Even if they have shooting woes, like that just clicks, it works. Um, And, I think when you have you go from what Zion's creating to what those advantages look like with BI and CJ, like it's just so different. Like I think defenses aren't impacted nearly in the same way. And as good again, as good as those guys are as contested shot makers, like CJ hasn't had that level of year. Um, I think it's been like you mentioned, it's t- t- tapered back down a little bit lately. But he started off really cold for the year. I think he's been better overall in 2023. But um, I think with what their role players are, again, like good role players, but they're role players who really thrive with Zion. It's not necessarily – it's not a roster built to be carried by Brandon Ingram 
And I also don't think Brandon Ingram is capable of carrying them, to be honest. Like, I think that there was a stretch last year where his passing and ability to, to get into the paint was um, like just at a level that we'd never seen before. It's not there right now. And I think yeah. that, and that's not to be unfair to him like that, but I do kind of like, it's one of the things where it's like, I just wish you could get back to that. Like um, it's, well, it's, it's, it's really interesting fun. because he's, I think that that is the biggest problem with this team right now is they don't have any way to pressure the paint unless it's like Jonas Valanciunas. Like one of the things that like people talk about with the New Orleans Pelicans, the people around the team, the people that uh, often are, uh, you know, in a case where they are as a beat writer for the team or a blogger, whatever you want to call them. And they go to press conferences and stuff what Willie Green talks about is he wants this team to shoot more threes. He wants them to space the floor better. He wants them to play the math game more. This team is 27th in three-point attempt rate this season. And he knows that and wants that to change. But the problem for them in terms of changing that, the best way to get open three-pointers is by driving and kicking, collapsing defenses and spraying it out. They don't really have that first level of being able to do that, I think. C.J. McCollum has improved uh, as a distributor and playmaker, but he just doesn't really have the burst to beat guys off the bounce consistently. Brandon Ingram, his it's just not like his idea. It's not what he does a lot of the time to like try and like get into the paint and like drive and kick. Like he wants to get into the paint and get to the mid range. He wants to get to the paint and uh, or get into like the 15, 17 foot area, right? It's, I don't know. It, it just feels like they don't pressure the paint a lot. They don't really get that penetration. And that is something that will change when Zion Williamson comes back. There's arguably no better paint presence in the entire NBA. And I think on some level, this team was built with the idea of having Zion there and having that elite level paint pressure all the time that collapses defenses and opens things up for everyone else. But I do think that this showcases how difficult things are for the Pelicans without him. And just looking through the on off numbers, looking at play by play stats right now, uh, Daryl Blackport's great, great site with Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Zion Williamson, the Pelicans are plus 14.9 in terms of net rating this season. With Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum without Zion Williamson, they are a negative 11.1 net rating this season. And that's in like 460 minutes. And the big difference there, I mean, look, they're terrible on both ends, but they only have a 110 offensive rating uh, in those minutes with Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum without Zion Williamson. It's hard. It's I get that this team has been built for Zion Williamson, but they got to be able to play without him. And it feels like right now they're just really struggling to play without him. Yeah. And I would add to I think what my biggest struggle has been with for them is the way their defense has kind of evaporated. Um, Like it's not like it's the worst thing of all time, but it hasn't been nearly as good lately. And I think part of that is like when I mean, when your offense dies down to this level, a it's really hard to not get killed in transition, which I think they struggle with, particularly, you know, when you, ha- when you're playing JV 20 to 25 minutes a game, um, it's not to be unfair to him, but like 
just any seven footer. It's hard to be an effective half court defense when you don't get set in the half court. Um, so yeah. I think that's been a struggle for them. And their overall communication just hasn't been there like it was at the beginning of the year when their defense was really popping. Like I think um, part of it is it feels like they're always kind of trying new lineup combinations, but also like they'll play JV a little bit higher up, show, recover, um, and try and rely on backline rotations. But then like the tagger, uh, not the, yeah, like the tagger will release early or or late, or it's just always like a little bit offbeat and not right and it's really killed them like not being completely locked in on what they need and I think they're just in a really tough spot of not having a a go-to right now on either end other than making tough shots and they're not doing it at a high enough level for to 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 carry them yeah so I just pulled up synergy right now they are in a virtual tie for third worst in terms of percentage of their possessions that result in transition opportunities for the opposing team 17.4 percent of their defensive possessions currently are transition possessions which is really bad it's really really hard and i would imagine frankly that number is worse over the last little while as you've said because it does feel like that is often that is often where they're getting beaten a lot of the time is out in transition defense And the thing that frustrates, I think the thing that frustrates most fans is that lack of three point shooting, Mm -hmm. right? I get it. It, Like they have great shooters. Like Brandon Ingram can shoot the basketball. CJ McCollum can shoot the basketball. Trey Murphy is an absolute sniper from three. They have guys that theoretically can really, really shoot. You would think they should be better, but they're just not. And I, this team might just desperately need Zion Williamson back to make the play in tournament. And if they don't get Zion back, they, I honestly think that this is probably the worst team right now within that little race, at least in terms of how they're playing currently. Yeah. It's hard to disagree with that. And I think part of what's really frustrating and difficult too, that I understand from a fan perspective, like, um, I mean, it's been cool to see Kira Lewis get a little bit of run lately. Uh, like that's been, that's been nice. And I think he's had some nice moments too, but it's more so like, okay, well, Dyson Daniels is just not playing anymore. Like he's out of the rotation. Part of that is because of the Josh Richardson trade. Like you make the move for Josh Richardson um, to bolster your rotation for a playoff run. Well, right now it's not a playoff run. Like I, I think, and I, I don't well, know. That like, is, is, is Josh Richardson better than Dyson Daniels right now? I like, I, n- Yes and no. I, I genuinely think it's like pretty close. Yeah, no, exactly. Like that's what I'm saying. I think from a coaching perspective, I get exactly why Willie Green's going to say, "Okay, well, I'm going to play Josh Richardson. Like that guy's a vet. He knows his role. He knows what he's going to do." But also, like Dyson was playing well earlier this year. Like he really brought good yeah. things. He fits what his team wants. He's bigger. I honestly would say he's a better defender than Josh Richardson. Um, yeah, like I Josh agree. can do some good things, but largely, I'd just rather put Dyson out there with what he does. Dyson's a better passer, moves the ball better. Like, no, he's not going to bring the same as a ball handler yet. I don't think like he can do some stuff bringing it up the court. Um, I don't think that he's the same way of like getting into the paint. But like, Josh doesn't really get into the paint either. No, exactly. Like, I agree. Like, I'm just saying. Like, that's part of the difficulty in like when you don't have a real lead guard and you're trying to figure some of that stuff out. It's difficult. Um, that's probably the only like like the biggest nitpick I would have with Willie Green right now. Like just I would so much rather see Dyson out there. And who knows? Maybe there's stuff going on in my I don't know about. 
Um, well, but he, just based he played on- like 13 minutes last night. So like, yeah. I, I would think that like, he's playable. It's just what's going on. You know, why, why is that not a thing? And obviously they're missing, you know, Jose Alvarado is hurt right now as well. And like, there are a number of, number of things going on that you can point to Larry Nance is out as well. Like, I think he's yeah, out for another week. Right? Jackson Hayes has not been good. Like he tries, yeah. like he's, he does some energy stuff, but I still just am really not there with where he's at right now. Yeah. Like, it's funny. Like you look at Jackson Hayes numbers versus Larry Nance's numbers and you wouldn't really see much of a difference, but then you watch the games and it's just like, Oh my God, uh, Larry Nance just structurally helps them defensively and helps their ball movement. So, so, so much more. Uh, every single time he's out there it's yeah I just I'm bummed for the I agree with you like that overriding feeling of just being bummed is where I'm at on this yeah. right and I really hope that they can just get back to something like I know Wendy reported the other day or maybe it was just more got aggregated but just that there was like no sight line on on when Zion was going to come back um I just hope that 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 goes away because I just I, – A, I just miss watching that dude play. I hate the discourse yeah. around it whenever he's not playing. Clearly, he was in shape this year. I'm not – I don't I don't think if you're debating that, you can talk to a wall as far as I'm concerned. But, like, um, it's just like seeing what this team had earlier in the year. And Steve, yep. Steve Jones Jr., our friend, put this on Twitter. Like, you still see moments of what they can do. Like, you see the, yeah. the stuff that, that has been their bread and butter all year, and it pops, and, and then it goes away again. And so I think, again, like I just every time I watch this team, I'm just like even watching them against the Kings last night. Like I thought the first half you saw some good stuff. And then again, as as things got away from them in transition, like I think the Kings are like that is like the worst possible matchup for them with how the Kings play. Um, But it's it's frustrating. And I really hope that they can get back to it, mainly just like that fan base deserves it, Um, especially with what the beginning of this year looked like for them. Yeah, no, it's I need this team to be good. Uh, I, I want to watch them be good. I want to watch Zion. It's funny, like, you know, you're right. Like, schematically, they are doing a lot of the same things. Steve is right. They're doing a lot of the same things, but it just has a lot less force when Zion, like, isn't the person running a lot of these actions, right? Yeah. Like, you're running, like, dribble handoffs and, like, all due respect to Brandon Ingram, but, like, Brandon Ingram's, like, downhill force is just different than Zion's in a lot of different ways. And again, Brandon's been playing great, like offensively at the very least. It's just that it's, it's not enough right now for this group. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Let's jump into 2023 NBA draft stuff. This will be fun. I'm really excited to talk about all of these guys that we're going to jump into. We're going to talk about six guys. We're going to compare them in pairs of three, essentially, NBA draft battles, comparisons between two players, why we're higher on one guy versus another, what we see is like the differing factors between the two of them. And we're going to jump into this. Okay, Mark. The whole purpose and premise behind this for me was I wanted to break down Jordan Hawkins versus Grady Dick. And they're floor spacers. They're guys who are going to generate high-volume three-point opportunities they go about it entirely differently. I feel like, which is so interesting. And I think that honestly, like there, I do prefer one guy over the other, but I really, really like the other guy a lot. And I think that I'm probably higher on him than consensus. I think I'm probably higher on both of these guys than consensus being completely honest. Yep. 
Okay, Mark, Grady Dick or Jordan Hawkins? Uh, let's just start with this base level thing. Which one would do you prefer? Oh, Grady for sure. Um, like, and I think that I want to follow that up too, just by saying like, I the more I watch Jordan, the more I fall in love with him as a player and prospect. Like, I know you like him a lot too, and I'm I'm excited to talk about him. But like, and that so I just want to say like, it's not to say that I dislike Jordan. It's more like I think Grady calling him a sure bet or like safe bet feels like it undersells his upside and potential. But like, I think with what you look at, what the floor is, how he's improved over, over the year. um, Like he, that's a guy who's just become a no brainer upper lottery prospect for me or close to upper lottery. I should say like, I think top 10 lock for me is how I would put it. I agree with you. I have Grady Dick in my top 10. I really like Grady Dick a lot. Do you think that there is a case for the way that Jordan Hawkins goes about creating his three-pointers, sprinting off of screening actions, finding different flare opportunities, uh, just the way that he goes about it, sprinting to the line in transition, stopping, popping, and getting that open three? Do you think there is something about his ability to generate three-pointers that is potentially a bit more translatable than Grady Dick, where Grady Dick, a lot of his opportunities right now, he's not a bad movement shooter. I don't mean this by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's going to be a really good movement shooter long-term. We haven't seen quite as much of it from him as Jordan Hawkins yet. Do you think there is a case that Jordan Hawkins will be able to shoot threes at volume a little bit easier than Grady Dick? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think like the size is always going to play a factor for sure. And um, that's probably why people would consider Grady a better shooter. But I, I mean, you can make a legitimate argument that Jordan's the best shooter in the draft. Um, like I, I, like you mentioned, like his difficulty, variety, everything on his threes is pretty ridiculous. Um, and it's not just like, a, oh, well, he's doing this and, you know, really be, being able to create things because of, um, you know, like, what other guys are opening up for me. It's, it's like, it's self-creation without the ball in some ways because he's so outlier in what he does as, as a movement threat. Um, some I wrote about a year or two ago. And I think part, ironically, uh, on another UConn player and how that, you know, played out for him, obviously Jordan, I mean, Jordan Hawkins is so much better than James book Knight with the way that he moves without the ball. Oh yeah. yeah um, yeah. like James is, but well, I don't, I don't even know if I would say James is a better athlete, better vertical athlete, but like in terms of the side to side stuff, I don't think it's super comparable, but, um, point being like, I I'm there with you. Like, I think that part of why I've gotten higher and higher on Jordan is like you just don't find guys who are shooters like this. I think there's always this idea of like, oh, well, you can just find somebody in the late first who can shoot. And like, yeah, who can shoot standstill or maybe lift and, and hit shots. But like you do not find guys who can do this, like right. who can legitimately hit shots out of every kind of set, every movement, and be good at every single variety while having some room to expand out from there. And I'm not saying I'm there yet, but like he's a top 20 guy for me. And I don't think it's crazy if he maybe ends up like a lottery guy. Yeah, I have him at 17 right now. So I'm like right in the middle of it. Uh, the next place I want to go to with this is defensively. I like Jordan. I like what Jordan can be defensively a little bit more than Grady. They're very different defenders. Yeah. 
Uh, Grady is a very smart team defender with great hands, great hand-eye coordination, who just seems to like read and react to things that happen around him. But where I think he struggles is in dribble handoff or like any sort of exchange, right? Where he has to communicate with a teammate essentially and make a rotation or make a switch or or do something like that. Those are the areas where I think Grady can get in some trouble with Jordan. I think Jordan's really good with all of the communication stuff. And I think he's actually really aggressive. And on top of it, I think he moves his feet super well. The problem is that he just doesn't really have the base right now. He's not strong enough. He gets bullied a little bit too often, but at the point of attack, I actually think he's kind of underrated in terms of just being like an aggressor and being able to get into guys' spaces. How do you evaluate these two defensively and which one do you think that you like a little bit better long-term? Uh, I th- That's a good question. I think that one's where it's tough and that's where the size stuff comes in because I think for Grady, like you mentioned, like I think that there are things that he does really well defensively. I think that um, you know, as he gets stronger and continues to improve with stuff, I'm interested to see um, what that means for him as he continues to improve. But I think Jordan, I, I hate saying underrated, but like Jordan is a legitimately very good college defender. And I think it's in a way yes. that can translate. Like, like you mentioned, I think he needs to get stronger. And I'm curious, you know, what uh, organizations feel like they can get him to like what can what is a healthy way yep. for him that we can get him to like I think that's going to be a really big thing that organizations are looking at like he put on he was like 175 as a freshman he put on a decent amount of weight prior to this year I think you've seen that play out and be a good thing for him but like okay it's yep. like how much more can we get out of him functional strength wise is going to be really important for sure um, but like even when teams try and quote unquote go at him I think he's been really good at standing up. Like he's really, he's a very solid on ball defender. He plays with higher functional strength than I think you would expect from somebody who's 185. Um, And his team defense really impresses me too. Like he's so good on stunts and digs into the lane. If there's a loose handle, he's going to attack it. Um, But I don't ever really feel like he's going too crazy out of bounds with it. He navigates screens well. Like I look at him as like, yes, if, if somebody can, really like isolate a six, eight guy on him and get him in the post. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. But like, do you know how much shit you have to go through to actually make that happen? I feel like that's so much more difficult to actually do as an offense and have it work out in the way that, that matters replicably um, than people give well, it credit for. Like, It's for me, the ones that worry me are if you just like have him on ball and you can like come up and run a screen with Kawhi or someone like that, yeah. not maybe not even Kawhi, maybe someone who's like not as strong as Kawhi, even like Jason Tatum, right? Like I, I would run like a one, three ball screen with Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum and try and get a switch with Tatum onto or Hawkins onto Tatum. And I think that Hawkins would struggle with Tatum's strength even right now for sure at this point. Uh, Grady Dick, though, I think is like, I, I don't think Jordan Hawkins is going to be a magnet once he gets up to like 205, 210 in terms of, you know, teams are going to like sprint at him and try and like get their best player on him. I do think Grady Dick on the ball, particularly, and by running him through a lot of exchanges, could end up being a little bit of a target. Now, I think he's really sharp as a team defender. I think he's really smart. And I think that like, there will be ways around that in a lot of ways, but I worry about him on defense more than I worry about Jordan on defense. Ultimately, the thing that makes me side with Grady here is 
I think Grady is just way better offensively as an overall prospect. I think that the shooting is going to end up being very close. I think Jordan is better at driving volume right now from the three-point line because of his movement. But Mm -hmm. I think that Grady's super high release point is going to be an enormous factor as he continues to move up levels and continues to get better and better off of movement. I also think Grady is just more comfortable putting the ball on the ground and getting all the way to the basket. I think a lot of the stuff I see with Jordan isn't quite getting all the way to the basket. I think Grady is a little bit more comfortable right now uh, getting all the way there and actually making passing reads off of it. I do think Jordan's like a little bit of an underrated passer, not like an incredibly underrated passer, but he does show like the occasional high level read that I think he probably doesn't get enough credit for. Yeah. But with Grady, I I think Grady can just like pass. Like he throws like one handed live dribble passes while attacking closeouts. And I'm just like, oh, like that's going to work at the next level. Like that's going to just be really valuable. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I might even be a little bit higher on Jordan as a passer. Like, I think that yeah. I'm not expecting him to like run an offense or anything like that. But I think, like, obviously, like this is a guy who, even if he gets run off the line, I tend to trust him to make the right decision. Like, I think a lot's going to depend, like you mentioned, on I, for me, a lot of it's going to be strength. And conti- again, like that's a, a buzzword, but like continue to improve his strength because I think that's no, a big no like thing downhill right now. Yeah, um, with him, it really is all of, like that is the swing skill. Like, I actually think he can handle the ball now. Like, yeah, like I think the handle is solid for him. Like, he really yeah. like if if he gets run off the line, like he started to do some more stuff. Like, okay, what if I snake this? What if I you know try and use my body a little bit to 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 find an angle? And I think that's where you've seen some of his best passing stuff come out of. Like, he's shown yep. ability to handle some traps and doubles. Like, I really believe in what he does with how well, he sees the court. Yeah, for me, it's like the ability to maintain that advantage. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's not going to create an advantage, but, like, I think he can maintain it. Well, no, I think it's the opposite. I think he struggles to maintain it. Like, I think that the strength guys can kind of get back into the play more than anything else. Uh, I think that that is his problem. Like, he gets the advantage through the gravity of his shooting, and then he'll attack a closeout or something. And if someone can get back and just, like, physically bump him, or something like that. It kind of just completely arrests his momentum in terms of getting downhill. Yeah, that's fair. I think for me, as the years gone on, I feel like he's like again, like it, the finishing hasn't been amazing, but I think he's been better at getting downhill as the years gone on. Um, and I, I like at least to me, like just with the stuff that we're talking about, maybe this is an incorrect read, but like for me, this is the stuff that I feel if if you are somebody who has like is a hard worker like obviously again that's stuff that i can't gauge that's stuff that a team has to gauge but like i view that as stuff that can be repped out and worked on and improved yeah. as as a guy again like gets stronger gets more reps and i think like with having a bankable skill with the level of shooting he has and and being a guy who competes his ass off defensively and does pretty well like i think that i like am pretty bullish on that being something that can really improve not that i think he's gonna be a star yeah. but like i think that there's like real value in him becoming a guy who can just continue to continue advantages, be a high level floor spacer. Um, I see that with him. Which of these two do you think has more star equity? Star equity. Oh, wow. See, that's tough. Cause that's a different question than just like outright better prospect. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like a piece of the puzzle, but it's like not the, it's not the puzzle. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would, I think somebody would disagree with me, but I would say Jordan Hawkins. 
I think that Jordan, like, there's a legitimate chance where, like, if things just really pop, like, with, like, I mean, just being a guy who can shoot at that volume with that quickness, with that movement, like, I, I don't want to, yeah, I, I think that I would go with Hawkins. So the, the case for Grady would be: Do you think there is any like Clay Thompsony offensive upside with him? Just high release point, quick release, being able to get it off that way. Like that—that's the star upside for Grady. Would be like Clay Thompson offensively, right? Um, I think or the vision at least. I'm not saying yeah. like that's what it will be, but like that, yeah, that's what people. No, I get what you're saying. I think that is possible. Um. Cause I'm trying to think of like a, a, a different lane. I would even go with him. Cause I feel like the, I, I mean, I never watched clay at, at, at Wazoo. I wasn't, I wasn't around mm-hmm. for that, but I think the, I, like if there's something there where he can, one thing I've thought about with him is like, Hey, obviously if the handle can tighten up a little bit, like I think that really needs to happen for him to get better at getting downhill, but also too, um, like, like you mentioned with the high release point, like, okay, what if he does become a guy who can, mix in drives with 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 post-ups like mix in like finding ways to okay crab yeah. dribble use my shoulder find ways to, to get to that high release point and i feel like he's a guy who has such good touch that you can believe in that so i think i could see that and and feel feel like solid about what that could be um i don't have like a direct comp in my mind or anything but i think like that's definitely possible for him yeah it's interesting because that is something that clay like really took advantage of you know especially like by the midpoint of his career with the Warriors was that ability to get to that post spot and to shoot over the top. And you're right. Like that could be the thing for Grady to like be able to do it. Hmm. This one is a little bit closer than I thought going into this. I will say that. And I'm glad we did this. I think that right now, based off of the size and based off of my concerns about Hawkins's frame, I would lean Grady Dick. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, think I would agree with that. But look, this is like what teams do. Like they sit around and like they literally bring up two guys and they're just like, hey, we need to talk through these two guys. Why this guy over the other guy, right? And I think that as you talk through it more sometimes, you get some really interesting insights. And I think this is one of those examples where as we've talked through it more, I'm just like, oh, maybe Jordan Hawkins is like a top 15 guy, right? Like, yeah, maybe there is a little bit of that. Okay. Next up. We are going to go Taylor Hendricks against Jarris Walker, two guys in the American Athletic Conference, two guys that are very high end defensive prospects, uh, six foot eight to six foot nine, somewhere in that range. Good length. Jarris Walker has like a seven two wingspan. I've seen different numbers for Taylor Hendricks's wingspan to where I don't really want to throw out an exact number but he seems long at the very least very different offensive roles mark where do you fall on these two prospects it's not close for me to be honest like i i really like taylor Hendricks, but like jaris is a guy who like i have gotten to the like i would be comfortable potentially taking him like five like i love jaris i think he's a better defensive prospect um i think when you, what's tough is like, I think you can look at Taylor and be like, well, maybe he's more of a plug and play guy with what he can do offensively. I think you have to build Jarris into your offense quite a bit more, but I also think there's a lot more upside for me with what Jarris brings offensively. Um, it's like, I, it's, 
I don't know. I'm trying to think through it more because I know there are people who are a lot higher on Taylor than me. You want you included. Like I, I can, I'm comfortable with him going lottery. He's, I think I had him like 16th on my last mock, but um, yeah, I, I'm just like, it's more so like, I think Jarris is like that dude rather than like being out on Taylor. I really like Jarris. I have him at seven on my board. I'm a little bit higher on Jarris. I think that his, the, the big differentiator between these two, I think you would agree, is like just the ability to put the ball on the deck. Yeah, right. 100%. And I think his his overall feel for the games will look better than Taylor's for me. Um, like Taylor's a solid, like don't get me wrong, but I think Jarris, like especially over the last month or two, as you've seen him like really settle into what he's doing at Houston, um, I think for me, I would I would be a little bit comfortable, a little more than comfortable saying that I, I feel better about his feel for the game. Yeah, I do too, for what it's worth. Like I, I'm 100% there which this is where it gets a little bit more interesting for me because like handle, I like Jarris feel. I like Jarris. I think Jarris's defensive instincts overall are a little bit better as well. Yeah. Um, and his versatility. Like I think Taylor has versatility, but like Jarris is like, that shit is special, man. Like I think he's yeah. a game changing defensive prospect. Um, I, I'm closing in on that. That ha- him having that upside, but I don't know if I'm like a thousand percent there yet. Okay. And this is the reason that I ask that question. Which one do you like athletically more? Because that is where I struggle because t- uh, Taylor is just twitchier, right? Like he is quicker. He is laterally quicker. I think his hips are better. Uh, in general, I think that he can flip his hips and like be able to slide and like his overall lateral ability, I think is a little bit better. Jarris, he lives and dies off of his reactions, right? Like he is, his brain is so fast on that end that I feel like it, it often is really, really impressive. Do you think that Jarris will find success guarding like the quickest twos in the NBA? Because that's, you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. Do you, do you think that that is something that he can do effectively? I think so. Like, you're not just going to put him out right, be like, oh, go guard Clay Thompson. Like, I don't think that's going to be a thing. No. Um, but like, he'll struggle also, running off of screen screening actions, yeah. I think. Like, yeah. But in terms of, like, if he gets put onto an on-ball switch um, in a ball screen situation, I think just, like, that, defend on an yeah. island. Yeah, I think that I have faith in him doing that. Um, like I, I would agree. Like, I don't think that his hips are the best. I think there is a little bit of stiffness there, but his technique and explosiveness is so good. And I do wonder sometimes, and this is maybe, maybe I'm just like, so in love with who Jairus is right now and who he can be that I (laughs) underlook it. Cause like, again, like I've just been so in on him for like two years. Like I just, I always (laughs) think about him like, but I think, and like, just as an aside, like it's part of, it's the same thing I had with Malachi Branham. Like, you watch this guy do something like the first time you see them, you're like, I don't know if I see it. And then, you know, you watch them two months later in a different setting. You're like, okay, I get it. And then they just keep growing, keep improving. And like, you saw what Jarris did the first month of the season, which was rough. Like never forget the Oregon game. Good, go- good, good God. But uh, like looking at now, like I-, I think again, like I don't, I think it's the kind of thing I would have undersold in the past. Me like, oh, well I can teach somebody technique. They can improve on that. Instead of going like, oh, well, I look at Jairus and I'm like, that's a guy who right now I think you can trust to play multiple schemes who I do think is going to be able to hang up on stuff. Like 
I do think like, again, like he's going to have some issues against smaller guards, but even then, like, I think that he's so good in, um, in what he does and being aggressively sound too, that, um, I would trust him in a lot of situations. Okay. So I'm with all of that. And I agree with you. Like, I think that his overall, I don't know, do you want to call it like technique or, or like what, whatever you want to say it is, has gotten way better since he's been at Houston, just in terms of, I'm trying to put like one simple word on it in terms of what I'm talking about. Uh, but it's his ability to react rotationally, his ability to see everything a step before it happens, his ability to communicate and like understand exchanges and things like that. All, all of this has gotten better, right? I think it's gotten drastically better. It's gotten better for Taylor Hendricks at UCF, but as we know, development is not linear. And I think that it's possible that Jarris has gotten, frankly, like maybe the best defensive coaching in the country from Kelvin yeah, Sampson in that Houston situation. As compared to Hendricks, who might still have a little bit more upside defensively and look like part of this is me playing devil's advocate like let's be clear about this like i'm trying to i'm trying to pull things out during conversations as much as anything right do you think that taylor Hendricks maybe athletically once he fills in because like jarris is not getting any bigger with his frame right like this is who jarris is physically at least i would hope i would hope he doesn't get bigger because i think that that is where we really start to see diminishing returns do you think that there is potentially some upside for Taylor Hendricks in terms of improving his frame a little bit and getting like real NBA level schematic coaching that could see him surpass Jarris in any way? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I think he has some good lateral quickness and ability. I probably am just a little bit lower on it than you right now. Um, in yeah. what that could be versatility wise. Like, I think it could be really interesting as like a, switching a, on onto some wings and, and in the front court. Um, yeah. And the rim protection stuff is really awesome. Like that has been super fun to watch. I mean, he's he, based on what he does with his back foot explosiveness. He has a lot more yeah. to offer as a rim protector than Jairus. Um, I just, I don't know. I think I value the technique and what Jairus brings as being able to do everywhere. Well, also like, I think to me, like Jairus in the same way that Jalen Duran did at times last year, is like a guy I look at is like teams have done so much to try and re- remove him from the equation. And he still finds ways to blow shit up. Like that stuff is like, I geek out on that. Like, I love that. And I think like, obviously Taylor has had those moments too, but I think Jairus has done that so repeatedly and routinely for me this year um, that I would probably still lean him even upside wise. Offensively. Are you just like in on Jairus Walker's shot at this point? Yeah, I don't like. I, that's a good question. I think like in in no, but I think, and this is one where it's like I want to go back and watch Taylor stuff from from AAU and and everything, and because I if, if I remember, I mean he came in build it as as a three point shooter and like having this ability to space the floor, like because Jarris, I mean Jarris's shot went from like I mean you saw what that thing was like two years ago yep. to to where it is now, um, and I think again that's part of the thing where like I want to do. I'm at the place where I need to do like more Intel stuff. Like that's the kind of thing I never really thought about before, but I'm at the place where like, I just, I find things out because of people I talk to, you know, like 
I've only heard like insane things about Jarris's work ethic and the way that he's improved. Yep. And like, I see that on court. I'm like, I see that. Like, I see how that's applied. I, that's the stuff I want to know more about with, with Taylor. Cause like, um, like then now that, because that, that's what I'd apply to like, okay, well, what about his handle? Like, can, can that stuff, like, what is, what is his, his mindset like on trying to improve that? And, um, I think with that really long one way of saying, yes, I, I think I'm, I'm in on Jarris's shot and where it's headed. Um, and how it's continued to improve this year. I don't think he's ever going to get to be like a movement threat. Um, but I do think like, can he become a pick and pop guy who uh, has to get guarded and who can face up an attack and drive? And I think he's shown some really interesting stuff with that um, over the last couple weeks. Um, so like the their game against Tulane. Oh my God. Um, he had a couple of drives that were just like, man. But uh, yeah, I, I think I I'm there with it. So, again, this is just me playing devil's advocate because I'm trying to pull some things out, right? (laughs) With Jarris, do you think that there is a chance that he is, if the shooting does not come along for him, like he was a, I think he's shooting like 36% from three right now and a couple of possessions per game. Um, Is there a case that Jarris is basically a small ball big? as opposed to being like a four that you can play next to a non-shooting five. Because look, while we all want like shooting fives, they're not the easiest things to find. Yeah. Does that potentially, if you don't believe in the shot, does that potentially limit Jarris Walker into being more of a small ball five? Yeah, I think uh, that's a good question. I think it does. Um like if the shot doesn't come around, I think that does limit his pathways. But also, like, I think part of what's important is like what what team drafts him, how are they going to use him, what do they want from yep. him? Um, and I think luckily, like he's a guy where if he were coming out five years ago, like uh, ten years ago, I think that I have a much different feeling on him as a prospect. But yep. on who he is right now, and like a t- I think a team could use him and be like, all right, we see the vision in making you this guy who is just a menace on the short roll who shores up so much for us defensively and gives us a ton of lineup versatility in what you can bring and, and how you can unlock some things for us. And I think, um, again, like I do think if the shot doesn't come around, like it definitely hinders what he can be, but I'd still be pretty high on what he can be as a small ball big. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that that just like makes it a little bit harder, right? Definitely. Uh, just pulling up Taylor Hendricks's numbers, I have like 16 games of him on Synergy, it looks like, from AAU and from uh, his Calvary Christian days as well. And it looks like something like 30% from three in those games. So I'll have to go back and like look through that as well to see, are there signs here? Was there a mo- like a line of demarcation that showed improvement, right? Look, I- I'm with you. I have Jairus ahead of him. And as much as everything I've been like parsing through here, the goal here is to try and learn. Yeah. Right. And with Taylor, which is worries me is like, I don't feel great about him. Like I actually feel a little bit better about Taylor as like a weak side rim protector uh, than Jarris. And I feel a little bit better about him moving away from the rim, but I feel worse about the overall instincts defensively and like his scramble ability and his uh, IQ in terms of like team structures and communication and things like that. I don't think that that is quite as impactful as what Jarris brings to the table offensively. Like I'm just willing to bet on 
Jarris like finding the swing skill that is shooting. Cause if he does, he's going to be like an immensely impactful four man. I, I have Jarris at number six or seven right now on my board. I am mm-hmm. a, I am a big fan of Jarris. Yeah, no, I agree. And I do want to say on Taylor too, like um, he's like, cause yeah, I'm looking to just at Cerebro. Like he has seen a real shooting bump. He went from a guy who like 15 U and stuff just was not shooting threes to now like has obviously become who he is. So that's definitely something I want to go back and look at, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you with Jairus. Like I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer. Okay. Last one for the day, Mark. Colby Jones at Xavier, a guy that I have uh, in the top 25 currently versus Terrence Shannon Jr. at Illinois, a guy that I previously had in the top 25 and am cooling on a little bit while also acknowledging that I think these two are pretty close and in the same tier for me, I think. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Colby Jones, man. Like, this is a guy who – and I think you can say this for both, and I, I would say it for both. But for Colby, like, one from a guy who's like, oh, maybe, like, the, the his entire college career has always done exciting things. Like, for anybody who – I know you do this too, and, like, doing a stats query, seeing who pops. Like, Colby Jones is a guy who is, like, always on stats queries. He gets steals. He gets blocks. He passes the ball yep. really well. That pops. And this year, like – I think the biggest line of demarcation is going to be how people actually feel about a shot. Cause I think yep. I'm probably less bullish on it than where I've seen a lot of people at. Like, yes, he is shooting 40% this year. So I'm pretty low volume. It's mostly open stuff. It's not really a lot of pull-ups and that's like, I'm not expecting him to be a pull-up shooter at all at the next level. It's more just like, okay, how confident is he? Is this, are, you know, are the sort of more indicators of touch like this and that? Um, but that's just such a big improvement for he has been the the willingness has been improved over from over his last two years. Um, and that's unlocked so much of what he does as just a really high level, uh, a really high level player who can connect the offense and not even just connection. Like I think his secondary scoring is really exciting. Like he, yep. his touch around the basket is really good. I do work. Like, I don't want to say I worry about it, but like he's fairly below the rim as an athlete compared oh, totally. to, yeah, I think he is. which I do yeah. think like I would say like he's like he's listed at six five. I think he's like a full six six. Like he's pretty big. No, he's big. Yeah, he Col- Colby looks big. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I think like that's for me. He's a guy who I very much look at. I'm like, okay, I do wonder a little bit more about like if the shot isn't this level or if if this is a guy who's shooting like thirty five percent, thirty six percent. And it's still on low volume. What does that really mean? How does that impact him? How does that impact the way that he's playing? Um, because I do think that makes a big difference. Like again, like the passing is really good. The secondary pick and roll stuff is really exciting. He plays really well in transition. But um, I do just wonder, like, okay, what if what does this look like when teams A aren't really guarding him as a threat, um, and B if he's having to deal with better rim protection. Yeah, I, I think that like what I struggle with with Colby occasionally, and this is a guy that like I've been high on since he was a freshman. Like I was, I've been calling him out as like a potential drafty and like first round pick for two years now, three years I guess, three draft cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he good enough at any single thing? Right, like he's a good passer but like he's not like bending defenses, right? Like where his passing will be effective at the NBA level is attacking closeouts. But if there is no threat of the shot, what does that look like? 
Yeah. Right. Like, is he able to do that? Like that's, that's how he can get into the paint in general. Can I ask you a fun question here? Yeah. Better Xavier prospects, Colby Jones or Najee Marshall? Uh, Colby Jones. I don't even think it's really all that close. What do you think? Okay. Um, I, I was not all that high on Najee. See, I, I was like, I was, like, I was a sicko. I loved Najee. I thought Najee was, was, was really exciting. Um, yeah, it's, well, it's just interesting. Cause I think they're going to have a lot of, a lot of things that we've seen play out with Najee are going to be the same things that we see play out with Colby, um, to a degree. And I think that is just, I don't know. It's something interesting to look at moving forward for sure. I think Colby is. It's like, I don't want to like be unfair and say he's like a more cerebral player because like Najee is not a dumb player. Like he's very reactive uh, on the court. Like, Like, yeah, like he's very, he play like he plays and goes and just has like a natural instinct for how to make shit happen on the court. Right. With Colby, it does feel like a little bit more cerebral and he has to be because he's, he's not the athlete that Najee is. That's the key difference between these two. Yeah, exactly. And Najee's a little bit bigger too. So I think that's where it's like. It just like you see some of the well, here, limitations. For sure. So here, here'd be my next question: Do you think that Najee is? Do you think that Najee plays as big as Colby does defensively? So it's a good question. I think because I've always looked at Najee as a guy like, um, like Tory Craig to me. Like I think every there's a lot. There's like always this notion that like Tory Craig is good guarding big wings. He's like fine guarding big wings. I've always thought he's better in what he can do guarding like twos or like being somebody who is kind of more of a chaser who can be big around screens because he's really good at doing that. And I think that's what Najee excels at. I think Colby is much better at like being a roamer, being somebody who can um, blow up plays with his physicality and, um, yeah. and you know, guard somebody on ball a little bit more. Um, so I would say like, yeah, I think Colby plays bigger. But again, like that's, that's part of the difficulty too. Like, all right, well, if he's more of a three and he's like playing up, and he has to deal with my moose is excited to talk about Kobe Jones too. But like, if you have to it. deal with that at the next level and deal with the more physicality, I do like again. I think I just keep coming back to the finishing. Well, it's interesting because I think that with Colby, where the issues come into play is just like with the explosiveness and athleticism a lot of the time. Yeah. And with Najee, it was more on the shooting side, right? Like, I, I just I'll be honest with you. Yeah, Najee's touch was so bad. Straight up, <laughs> so did not bad. buy him as a shooter. I bought everything yeah. else with Najee. It was just like, I think there's no way this guy will shoot the ball point blank, right? And he hasn't really shot the ball in the NBA. Yep. Uh, but he's been so good at everything else that he's been able to make an impact. And yeah, it's tricky because on the other side, you have Terrence Shannon, who's just like a drastically different player, Right. Terrence is trying to get downhill. He's trying to uh, get to the rim. He is a, as opposed to being Colby, who is more of a, I will take the shots as they come to me guy. Terrence is aggressive in trying to hunt his shot right now. Which one of these two do you think is better defensively, Terrence Shannon or Colby Jones? Uh, I would, mm, that's tough. I think, I really like Colby, but like I, I love Terrence. Like I think Terrence, what he can do with the way that he covers ground, because like we're talking about Colby, Colby and and Terrence are such different athletes. Like yep. Terrence is so explosive, he's so strong. Like again, somebody who plays way bigger than his listed size. Um, and I think like to to me, like the athletic difference is probably the biggest thing that probably propels Terrence a little bit ahead for me 
over over Colby. Um, so I, I would feel a little bit better about what his role at the in the NBA as a defender looks like. Not, and that's not to say that I dislike Colby as a defender. Like I think Colby's a very good, very sound defender. But I think like I see what Terrence does having like a more concrete role and impact at the next level. It's just explosiveness, right? Like even just like that first step explosiveness to be able to slide uh, that first step, like lateral, like burst when he has to try and cut someone off. That's real. That's a real differentiator between these two, between Terrence and Colby. And I think that's going to be a real differentiator moving forward for them as prospects in general. Look, Colby is the exact kind of player that I overrate every year. And I want to be very clear about this. Guys that are probably slightly athletically deficient in, you know, in terms of explosiveness, but have fast brains and seem to rotate and like uh, react to things around them very quickly and have super high basketball IQ. I, I don't know. Like, do you think Colby can like, do you think Colby is a below average athlete by NBA standards? Uh, I think I, I, I want to say no, but I think the answer is yes. If like, you have to you, think about it, in your yeah. case, Mark Schindler, the answer is yes. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was going to uh, deliberate and say, like, I think by virtue of him being 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, yeah. Like, if he were 6'8", I'd feel pretty comfortable about where he's at as an athlete, but he's yeah, not 6'8", and that, that makes it hard. And I, I do think he's, like, 6'6", six, six for what it's worth. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think he's, you know, 6'4 and a half. I think he's big, and that will help him, but... I don't know. Like, I feel like Terrence is probably going to have more success defending on the perimeter and Colby's going to have more success guarding up the lineup. And like, I just think that when they're both the same size, I'd rather have the guy that can defend on the perimeter a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. than the guy who's going to defend on the backside a little bit more. Um, do, you, do you buy any other skill? Like, what do you buy for Terrence offensively as a skill? Cause like with Colby, we can say, we like the touch. We think he has potential to shoot a little bit more at volume. We love the passing. We love the feel. What do you like about Terrence outside of his ability to just, you know, run in transition and just wreak havoc, right? His drive game, his drive game is so yep. good. Um, and like he has like some real mid range sauce too, which like, not that that's everything, but I do think like if you run him off the line, like, and I think that's been his biggest improvement this year for me has been just his feel for the game is so different from where it was last year. I never thought he was a bad feel for the game player. He was always somebody who I felt was like solid, like not somebody who blew me away. It was more about how he saw the defensive end. Um, but even then, like, I think this year, like the, the passing, I think the assist number undersells what his passing has been this year at times. Um, especially like live dribble stuff, getting downhill is where you see him make really good, really, really quality, like live dribble reads. Um, so to me, yes, the driving. And I think that there is some, some shot stuff off the driving. I, and I think you're going to disagree with me this. I believe in Terrence more as a shooter than I do in Colby Jones. Yeah. Look, I believe in more, believe in him more as a shooter than Colby Jones, because I tend to believe in guys that are just that confident to fire. Exactly. Like, um, but I, I don't know if I believe him in him as a shooter either. Yeah, I don't know. Like exactly. Like I'm not sure I quote unquote believe in him as a shooter, shooter, but like I think I buy him becoming a guy who shoots 35 or 36 percent on threes. If if he can like this year, what he's done to go from like again, like the shot really Im- improved last year, just in terms of like how he got it off. This year it's just like the unloading, like just being willing to take anything and everything, regardless of how contested he is like 
to me, that matters almost more than how efficient he is as a shooter. Like, because yep. the way that he gets guarded, um, like you just have to close out on him. Like every team closes out on him. And I, I don't know. I just, I just buy what he brings with that. I believe in what that can be at the next level. Well, I'm glad you brought up the driving because I think that that is the thing that I've been most impressed with with Shannon is just like that ability to get downhill, right? The the problem with that though is that everything he does is at a hundred like a hundred miles an hour. Yeah, there is no changing of gears, no changing of pace, and it just feels so aggressive. And like I think that this is where he gets in trouble. Like he turns the ball over a lot. He has like a ton of player control fouls. Like I don't think he, because he's going a hundred mile an hour, I don't think that he always reads the court. Well, like, I think that's where the passing stuff breaks down for me is he doesn't take the time to survey what's happening around him. He's a like skilled enough athlete in terms of his body control and things to where I think he, this is like developable maybe, but we haven't seen it yet. And it's been, four years in college from Terrence. Right. So like, I think that's where I'm, that's what worries me. And Terrence is also like 23. Cause I believe that he did a, he did a prep year at IMG. Does that sound right to you? I don't think he did. I'm pretty sure he didn't. He, yeah. He went to Lincoln park in Chicago. I don't think he went to IMG. No, he went to IMG. Yeah. He did. Terrence, Terrence went to IMG. Damn. Okay. I didn't know that. Interesting. Um, but all of this is to say that, and look, he turns 23 in July. Like he's not yet 23, just, you know, cause the people will come at me and yell at me. Um, the thing that worries me with him is just like, we're past the point where like, I think he should have developed this skill of being able to slow down on some level. Right. Maybe, maybe he just didn't get the reps at Texas tech. Like you can certainly make that case. That program yes. is not a thing. And maybe that is the real differentiator here between the two. Now that we finally seen Terrence get some freedom, we're seeing him blossom in a real way, but are those reps? This is a conversation we always have. Are those reps that you can get back and will he have enough rope to like continue to like play out the string? Right. Yeah. I think that's a great question. Like I, I honestly, I don't have a great answer on that. Um, I think I tend to just look at it as I buy what this improvement has been this year. I think it was really tough with, like you mentioned, like Texas Tech's offense is just God, I hate it. Um, it's terrible. Like, it's, yeah, it, it's it's it hasn't even been good. It wasn't good when Beard was there, even like it, it yeah. was. It's bad. Yeah, and I don't think it really did all that much for him as a prospect in terms of trying to figure things out. And I think again, like you mentioned, I think that I feel better taking more stuff from what it's been like Illinois. I don't expect him to be a guy who carries tons of usage at the next level. I think that would be ludicrous, but. I think to me, like I can see him playing. You can see some of the things he's doing in his role that make sense at the next level. And um, again, I don't, I, I don't know how to feel about the the age or how to weigh that and, and what to take away from it. But um, I just buy enough of what the improvement has been this year to feel like that stuff can come. Because, but I, I don't want to say that like you know his ability to to to, to find his pacing that just couldn't come at Texas tech. Like, I don't believe that, but I do think like you're mentioning, like, no, I, I actually do. Like, really, kinda, I kind of believe that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's really hard to find that in some offenses and what the environment yeah. was like. And um, so I think like, that's the kind of, and that's the kind of thing too. I feel like it takes quite a bit of time for some guys, especially guys who haven't always been like on ball dominant to figure out. 
Um, so I, I think that that's possible. It'll definitely be a big swing thing for him to get to. Yeah. No, I'm I'm going to be really interested. I'm, I'm okay. So let's just ask the question at the end here. This is a prospect battle, of course. Terrence Shannon or Colby Jones? Terrence Shannon. I actually think you've swung me on this a little bit more than what I thought. I have to oh. do the deeper. Yeah. I haven't done the Colby Jones uh, draft guide profile yet, and I have yeah. done the Terrence Shannon one. And when I did the Terrence Shannon one, I was just like, this guy is super inconsistent, and it drives me a little bit crazy from time to time. But you can see the vision, right? Like yeah. you can see what this looks like. Um, I need him to slow down way more. I need him to just like be a more effective finisher in the half court. Uh, I do want to say just, not to, and this is not me just continuing to try and go to bat for, for, uh, for, for, for Terrence, but yeah, I would say he's improved as a finisher this year. Like he went he from has, a guy who could true. really only drive with one hand um, to a guy who really has been able to drive and finish with both. It doesn't always look pretty, yep. but like he went from being a guy who just like could well, not drive with his other hand. He can drive with the right hand now. He can't finish with the right hand. Yeah. That's the next part of it. But you're right. Like he was a pure left hand driver previously. Honestly, now it's like pretty close to 50 50 in terms of his drives. Like he's pretty comfortable putting in his right hand. But even when he puts it in his right hand, he's still trying to go inside hand finish. Yeah. Definitely. So it, it is, there's a lot there. And you can see the vision with Terrence Shannon. I need to return to this maybe after I do the Colby Jones, like, draft guide like deep dive and really feel a little bit better about this but as of right now mark i think you i think you've swung me i think that this is a good one um did i did i ever tell you about what happened the one time that i i uh just speaking on terrence um actually i have like a really bad uh history sounds like i did something wrong but like i have a really bad like timing with with how i talk about prospects um I did like this like two hour long pod, which is very me, but like with uh, a friend who now works uh, for the Grizzlies um, talking about Terrence and why he fit the modern NBA and why he made sense. This was two years ago. And he announced 10 minutes after we were done recording that he was going back to Texas Tech for the next year. And then uh, there was the, this one sucked. Um, It was, I had just done like, and again, I think like two weeks later, I did a big thing on Roko Precaution the year when it looked like <laughs> he was going to be really good. Um, yeah. And then some random no-name account, no followers, no no profile picture, like replies to my pod that he's not entering the draft. Um, and I was like, well, what the hell are you talking about? Who are you? Like, I, where are you seeing this? Obviously, didn't get a reply or anything. Um and then, and then he pulled out like two days later, um, got a reply from the account like, oh, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a friend of his dad's. Like, I knew that this was going to happen. Like, all right, man. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, it happens. But, um, yeah, it's a small story time. Yeah, I mean, that, that stuff happens. Look, it's miserable. I, I really yeah. it's the whole reason that, like, I try and wait now on all of those guys that like are on the fence about declaring or not declaring for the draft, because I just like, don't, I don't want to run into that. Uh, my time is, uh, 
my time is a mess as it is. I can't really spend time on stuff that fails me. I get one or two every year though. One or two draft guide profiles every year. Do you remember the year that like Kofi Coburn was like, I'm a hundred percent in the draft. And then I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, That was so wild when he was like, Oh, I'm done now. Like I was like, Oh wow. Cool. Um, Yeah. yeah, That stuff is always random. I never, and we're about to hit that, which is going to be exciting, especially with the transfer portal. Like I think it's underclassmen can start, uh, declaring for the portal next week so uh this week we've, we've this got, week uh no underclassmen you're right yeah because yeah. uh, i know it's upperclassmen can do this week but underclassmen thinks next week so it's like that's, that's gonna be wild yeah we've got we got chris ledlam in the portal already it's great we've got uh uh who, who else do we have here stephen clark from the citadel second team all uh socon baby uh i'm i'm, I'm di- i've been diving deep into stuff already this is where yeah. i'm at Chris Ledlam is like the guy that will be in a high, he'll be a high major guy next year. Have you watched any of uh, Rocco uh, Prakachin uh, highlights in Spain yet or any tape from him in Spain? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it's been very bad. It's been very, been very bad. bad. I, look, I, I don't think it's been like very, very bad. I think that like, you know, compared to where, was, you know, it's just like compared to where it was two years ago. It's like, yeah, it's been distressing. Early on, it was rough. I think that he is starting to show some improvement for what it's worth. Yeah. Like, you know, you look at the numbers, like he's not like he's shooting like over 50% from the field now. He's just not shooting threes anymore. And like, it's of what is the role and like, how do you make this work at the end of the day? Um, yeah. he, he looks like a non prospect to me right now, unfortunately. But hey, well, we will always have the 2021 NBA draft combine. Never forget, because God, that rocked. That was I was so in on him, man. I I was such a believer, and yeah, here we are. But well, it happens, you know. It was a mistake to not come out that year. He was always the guy that had some questions. I thought, and yeah, he probably should have went before those questions became set in stone in terms of weaknesses. Um, all right, Mark. Uh, I don't really have anything movies wise that I've watched. I saw know? Creed three. Oh no, I still haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Well. We'll talk about it next. We'll talk about uh, it next week. I will go yeah. see it this weekend. I also, the o- only other thing, I started watching The Whale today. Have you seen it? No, I just don't care, I think. Yeah, I understand. Uh, I kind of wish that I hadn't started it. Um, like, Brendan Fraser is really good in it, but this is – it's dark, but the biggest thing is more like it is literally dark. Like, it is – whoever shot this and, like, did the cinematography, like, I have – I've never had an issue with brightness on my TV. Um, yeah. I have like adjusted my brightness to the max on my TV and it's still dark. Like it is, yeah. I think, I think like maybe what they were going for was like, Oh, well, you know, like you're supposed to see this guy who like never leaves his house. Well, I'm like, okay, but I still need to see what the hell's going on on my screen. Like it's, it's a little, it's a little much for me. Like I appreciate wanting to be like fully invested in making this a thing, but um what if I could still see what's happening? But yeah. Yeah. Hot take. Uh, make your things capable of being seen. That's That yeah. would be nice. Um, yeah. Look, I've been rewatching the John Wick movies. Nice. So I'm just like in preparation I can't wait for, for the next one. Cannot wait. Yeah. Um, so Laura and I will watch the third one tonight. Uh, we watched the first two over the last three days. I mean, just, just the best movies. Just the absolute best movies. Um yeah, I, I actually swear to God, people, I will have a top 100 on Thursday now. 
this is actually happening. Uh, I just have to find out. I've written most of the copy. I just have to finish the copy. I have the top 100 rankings like set in stone, uh, like in the article. We're all straight. I promise you, you will get my top 100 draft rankings on Thursday. Period. Um, what else? What else? What else? Wrote something with James Edwards today on the Pistons, as James and I alluded to on the podcast on Saturday. Please go read that and subscribe, do everything you can. Wrote a scouting report on Xavier Cooks signing with the Washington Wizards uh, over at The Athletic as well with Josh Robbins. You should absolutely go read that. I'm a general believer in Xavier Cooks. Have you watched much of him yet, Mark? I have not. Yeah, interesting player. Like, really, really interesting player. Does everything but shoot. Um, You know, one of those classic guys, and we'll see where it plays out. Also, just very skinny and, and That'll we'll have to figure out how he can rebound and manage with anchoring and things like that. But fast brain player, winning plays player, really big fan of his. That's all I've got. Um, yeah, Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mg underscore Schindler. Um, I should have some really cool and exciting stuff coming out soon. I think I wrote. Jesus Christ, uh, at least 10,000 words over the last three days, um, including 5,000 over the last 24 hours. So Love I it. am uh, very ready to like never look at my laptop again, even though I have another deadline tomorrow night. So um, it's one of those uh, it's one of those weeks, but uh, it's good, man. I'm excited. Like literally, you know what the project is. It's something I've been working on. Like I set it into motion yep. in October, November, and I finally filed it. So I am uh, excited. extremely excited about that. It is 20 pages long. So we will, uh, I'm sure my editors are really not thrilled about that, but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. Go to theathletic.com slash game theory. That is uh, the best way to support the show. I would imagine also just a very simple way to support the show. Go to youtube.com slash game theory podcast with Sam Vicini. Go subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. That's an easy way to support the show. That's free. It's great. You'll get to watch me and Mark talk about basketball. We're going to do it a lot more in the playoffs. Like, That's right. Do it, please. Uh, what else do I have for you guys? I have uh, – go subscribe on Apple, you know, Spotify, whatever podcasting platform you use. Leave ratings, reviews. Until next time, we will talk soon.